Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. It can be uncomfortable at times um, when we are learning to grieve things together, when we do that corporately, but it's something that we see all over Scripture And it's something that we are called to do um, as a church family. And so we want to lead you in that um, periodically in different ways. And so that's that's part of what we want to grow in. We see it in God's Word. And so we want to grow in that um, as a church family. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at The Vine. And we're in this series, um, Just People Like You and Me. And we're looking um, back to, to characters, and I say characters, let me be very clear, these were real people that really lived, that have these real experiences, okay? And so we're looking back to these people in the Old Testament and realize, man, they struggled with a lot of the same stuff we struggle with, but as we look at that, we see God's faithfulness and God's work in the midst of that. And so this morning, um, we're going to look to the life of Joseph, and, and much of the life of Joseph if I characterize it, it's, that's not what I expected. And so we're looking in Genesis chapter 40 this morning, but as, as you turn there in your Bibles and um, prepare to see that on the screen, I want to ask you a question. And that question is, have you ever been disappointed? See, I hear the chuckles. I think all of us in this room, from the youngest child that's in here, they may not be able to articulate it that way yet, but all of us in this room have been disappointed. I remember, well, I won't say I remember the first time I was disappointed, but there is a time that I remember being heavily disappointed, and I'm going to tell you about it. I told this story like eight years ago here, so some of you might remember it, but I'm going to tell it again, okay? So, because it stuck with me. Christmas Eve, all right? I was about seven years old, I think, Christmas Eve. All right. We're going to, every year on Christmas Eve, we went to one set of grandparents, the same set of grandparents. And when we went to this set of grandparents' house, we were all the kids were very excited because this was the grandmother that always delivered. My grandfather, he doesn't get any credit. It was always my grandmother. Okay. He was the one, she was the one that always delivered. We said, this is what we want. This is the one thing we really want. And that's what we got. This year, I knew I was going to my grandmother's house and I was going to get some of the newest G.I. Joes. If you don't know what that is, little action figures. Good summary for the day. Okay. I was going to get the G.I. Joes. It came time to open presents. I have my G.I. Joes sitting in front of me. And the way this worked is all the girls opened their presents at the same time and all the boys opened their presents at the same time because they were usually the same, right? So we're getting ready to open the, or, or like, not, not necessarily exactly the same, but similar. So we're getting ready to open these presents. And I open my G.I. Joe. I was like, huh, I don't know what this is. The package said Ghostbuster. <laughs> if you don't know what a Ghostbuster was, it was kind of the fad for a very short amount of time. Right? I never enjoyed the fad. My cousin evidently did. Um, So we all got Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters looked funny. The storyline behind it just sounded dumb to me. (laughs) And they even smelled really bad because they came with that slime, that green slime stuff, and they they just smelled bad, right? Point is, I was disappointed, all right? I was extremely disappointed. But I asked some other people recently, 
Have you ever been disappointed? You know, I've shared with you all before that I, I ask these questions of people sometimes before I'm preaching. And sometimes I get, I get people kind of like, well, I mean, you know, they, they give me a half-hearted answer. I finally had to say, okay, I'm not asking the question anymore. I got to leave because I was getting so many answers. Um, at one place that I asked the question, have you ever been disappointed? One guy um, who was a server at a restaurant expecting to receive a promotion in his other job, he, he was passed up by someone else that he felt was less deserving. And then there was a lady who said she was expecting her life to be fun and exciting, but realized her husband was dull and boring. (laughs) I'm really not making this up. Another lady said she expected to find great joy as a stay-at-home mom, but found out that it just frustrated and disappointed her because she was often irritated at her unappreciative children. I asked some students the same question, and a couple of them told me that they thought getting rid of some friends and finding new friends in their lives would help them feel better. But their new friends disappointed them as well. And I could go on and on, and then I could say, all right, y'all just start adding to the stories, and we could be here all day, right? The reality is, Disappointment, no matter how old you are, where you're from, what you've gone through, disappointments are part of life. There's disappointment in every one of our stories. And so this morning, though, I want to also tell you that there is a solid, biblical, unchanging truth, and I want you to hear it. God has not abandoned you in your disappointments. God has not abandoned you in your disappointments. You may not believe that truth today, or right now your experiences may not feel like that's true. But the truth remains, God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned me in our disappointments. And y'all, that is extremely important as followers of Jesus as we walk through this life. It's important as we face the disappointments in our jobs, in our homes, in our relationships, in our schools. And so we're going to pick up again, as I said, the story of Joseph. There's a lot in the story of Joseph. We're going to focus on one part. And we'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 40. But before I read, let me just remind you of what's going on up until this point in the previous chapters. You probably remember, because Joseph is one of those that even if you kind of just sort of grew up around the church, you probably heard about his life a little bit. Um, Joseph, he's the guy that was sold by his brothers, his own brothers, into slavery in Egypt. But after he got to slavery in Egypt, through through God's favor, he he had become in charge of the house of Potiphar. Now you remember in the house of Potiphar, um, Potiphar's wife, Uh, we'll say, liked Joseph. And so after being pursued by Potiphar's wife, he fled and he left his garment with her, which was later used against him. And so we're picking up the story after he's been thrown into prison. And Psalm 105 tells us more about it. It says he's in prison with shackles around his neck and around his feet. But even in these circumstances, it says that he's received favor from the Lord to be in charge of the prisoners of the prison. And so that's where we are. Um, Chapter 39 ends with whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so let's begin reading in chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. And this is God's word. It says, 
Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to see them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, when we hear about um, the cupbearer, I'm going to pause for a minute. When we hear about a cupbearer, right, we, we think about kind of what we see in the movies, the guy that drinks the, um, the wine or the, whatever the drink is um, to make sure it's not poison before it's given to the king, right? These guys, that, that is some of it, but these guys were much more important than that. These guys were actually advisors and confidants to the king. And whatever they did, we have no idea, it doesn't tell us, but whatever they did was bad enough that Pharaoh was angry and threw him in the dungeon. Maybe Pharaoh was having a bad day, but it seems like it was more than that. Now verses 9 through 14, I'm just going to tell you what happens there. So the cupbearer tells his dream to Joseph after Joseph said, hey, tell him to me, God's the interpreter. He tells a dream, and in that dream he saw a vine with three branches. The branches produced a cluster of grapes, and the cupbearer reached out, grabbed the grapes, squeezed them in the Pharaoh's cup, and gave the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph interpreted the dream to mean that Pharaoh would restore the cupbearer to his old position within three days. Right, so then following that, here's what we see in verse 14 and 15. I'm going to read it. Joseph says, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. All right, so now we go to the baker. And I'm going to tell this and fast forward a little bit as well, okay? Uh, verses 16 through 22, this is where we see what happens, what I'm about to tell you. The chief baker also has a dream, right? But he seemed hesitant to ask for the interpretation until he saw the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, right? And so now it's like, oh, that worked out pretty well. He had a dream that he was carrying three baskets on his head and the top basket um, and had baked goods for Pharaoh, but birds were eating from the basket. Joseph interpreted it to say this, that within three days, Pharaoh would remove the baker from prison, behead him, and hang his body on a tree where the birds would eat his body. I'm guessing at that point he's really hoping that Joseph isn't good at this. <laughs> but on the third day, verse 23 tells us, all these things happened, but then verse 23 says, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. As you look at that, though, I remind you, God has not abandoned us in our disappointments. But we're going to see two things about our disappointments here. And the first one is this. Disappointment comes when we expect one thing but receive another. We understand that intellectually, but let's look at that for a minute. Back to um, verse 14 through, through 15. I'll read it again. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, 
and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. You see what Joseph's doing here? You see what's going on? It doesn't seem like a crazy request. What Joseph is asking, what Joseph is expecting, is that the just and the right thing would happen. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's expecting. And the just and the right thing would be, because he had been falsely accused, because he had done nothing wrong, the just and the right thing would be that he would be taken out of prison. That's what he was expecting. Y'all, Joseph had had it. Joseph had it hard. Life hadn't been easy. Things in his life would look bad, and just as they begin to turn for what we would view, we look at it like, okay, the story's turning for good. Something else would happen in his life. First with his brothers, then with Potiphar's wife, as I said a minute ago. And, And in verse 15, we see Joseph firmly believes that he has done nothing wrong. And so he feels justified in asking to be remembered. And I want to say, I don't think he did anything wrong in asking to be remembered. He asked. I don't think he was showing a lack of trust in God. He didn't know what all was going to happen. He asked to be remembered. But now maybe you can imagine with me. Three days go by. The cupbearer, the baker are released. All these things happened as it said they would happen. And every time that prison door opens on the third day, Just imagine Joseph standing up, thinking, okay, it's time. But it wasn't. And then there's the fourth day. And then there's the fifth day. And then there's three weeks. And then there's three months. I'm guessing that as I say that, you can feel the disappointment that Joseph must have felt. As time went by, he probably quit getting up. And if he was like me, I think I would have probably thought, that jerk. I should have known. He got what he wanted, and he forgot me. You know, sometimes we read quickly through these Bible stories And we don't stop and think, whoa. Y'all, this was real life. It was really tough. And verse 23 says, Clearly, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And that makes me angry when I read that. You know why? Because I hear that, I'm like, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. The guy didn't keep his word. What's wrong with this guy? In only three days, he forgot him. I use the phrase often, conveniently forgot him. Because it didn't serve his purposes anymore. You know, when, when I know that you're dealing with something in your workplace that's unjust, I want to fix it. When I know you've been unjustly accused in, in a relationship, and I want to jump in and fix it. I want to see it better. When I see a student who's getting mistreated at school, I don't want to stand for that. Because it's not right. 
And there is a time and a place for us to be a part of the redemption in those situations, of being part of the restoration, of standing in those places. But in our story today, something else is going on. There's something else happening. There's something bigger. And that's our second point. Disappointment moves us to hope. Disappointment will move us to hope. Disappointment will cause us to hope in one of two things, though. It will cause us to hope in one of two things. The first is that in disappointment, we can hope in a change of our circumstances. Again, change of a person around us, change of a job situation, change of other types of circumstances. And, and you see that the thought of a possible change of circumstances is what gave Joseph hope. Right? That it, when he was in prison, that's what gave him hope. He wanted to get out of the situation. There seemed to be a clear opportunity to make it better, to make things right. And, and we hear that kind of thing. We're like, yeah, that's what should have happened. Because we love the stories where we see the underdog change the script and win in, in the sports analogy, or we love the stories when we hear of people who were born in poverty-stricken situations, who worked hard, who changed their life circumstances. We rejoice in the stories where we see someone is rescued from a hard life. You see, there's a desire in us. When we see things wrong, there's a desire to see things made new. That is a God-given desire. It comes because of the brokenness in this world. But we were created in the image of God, and so we want to see things made right and new. But see, sometimes we forget the God part of that. And so we hear these stories, we see these changes, and so then when we face disappointment, we forget the God part, and it causes us to approach everything as an opportunity to fix something or make it better. Or we forget the God part and we just become disgruntled and bitter towards others when we're not able to change things. Psalm 105.19 tells us, though, that God was using this circumstance, this disappointment in Joseph's life, to test him and to mature him. If you're reading this story in your Bibles... Um, there's a white space. It's the end of chapter 40 going into 41. There's a little white space there. Or on your, your Bible apps, it's where, you know, the space in between where you push the button to go to the next chapter. Right? In that space, this is what it says. Verse 23 of chapter 40, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And the next thing we have in chapter 41, it says that after two whole years, Pharaoh drew... Wait, what? Do y'all not hear that when you read that? I'm like... Are you kidding me? After two whole years in that little white space. During that two years, during that deep disappointment, God was working on not just the situation. That's what we would do in our strength. We would just work on the situation. But he's also working on Joseph's heart. You see, that's the second thing we can hope in. Disappointment will move us to hope, either in a change of circumstances, or the second thing, it will move us to hope in God. And for that to happen, it means our hearts need to change. 
God restored Joseph's hope by turning Joseph away from hoping in circumstantial change alone and turned Joseph to hope in God again. We know he's matured during this time. And we know that because of uh, Genesis chapter 41, verse 16. So now what's happened is um, Pharaoh has a dream now that he can't interpret. And the chief cupbearer goes, oh, wait, I got a guy for you. And so they bring the chief cupbearer. And as the cupbearer comes in, it's like, hey, this is the guy that can interpret your dream. But Joseph says in 41, 16, it's not in me to do this. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see what's going on here? Here's another chance for Joseph to promote himself. But that didn't work out that well before. And if he was still living in bitterness and disappointment with God, I think he may have said, to heck with what God wants. But he had matured. He had grown. Instead, he doesn't promote himself before Pharaoh, but again promotes God. He had matured during that two years and came out finding hope in God and trusting him. By the way, he has to keep doing this in his life again and again. What does all that mean for us this morning? What does that mean for us? Well, we have a little bit of the, we have the, not a little bit, we have a fuller picture. Because we know that there was a fall. There was a creation. There was the fall. And in the fall, um, that our relationship with God was broken to a point that we couldn't restore it. And we know that God, through his son, came paid the penalty of sin. He lived a perfect life, paid the penalty of sin that we deserve. He brought redemption to bring a people to himself. We know that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he is working in us so we can change. And then that we can be part of seeing things restored. And we know that he's not going to stop this work in us until we are fully in his presence. So what does that mean? When we face disappointments in our lives, we have to ask the question, where are we finding hope? Because if our answer is anything that involves the circumstance changing, and that's where our hope is, then we will eventually be disappointed again. And if we answer we're finding that we, if, we, if our answer is there is no hope, and some of you may feel that way this morning, but if that's our answer, that's just the other side of the same coin of finding hope in our circumstances. Because what we're saying is, I still want circumstances to change, but I know they're never going to change, and so I don't have any hope anymore. We all do that. You know, it's easy for us to look around and go, that person's doing that. My, ch my child is doing that. My, that person at work is doing that. Y'all, we all do it to some degree. And we all have those places in our lives. And so this morning, 
we come back to, God has not abandoned us in our disappointments. Our disappointments are meant to cause us to hope in him. I want to ask you um, to think about this prayer that I'm going to put on the screen, and we're going to come back to it in a moment and pray it. But um, this prayer says this. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you change my heart this morning to cause me to hope in you, even in my disappointments? We'll come back to that in just a moment and prep for the Lord's table, but I want to take just a couple more minutes and show you three heart attitudes that will change as you pray this prayer, as you continue to go to him, heart attitudes that he will change in you. First is we will move from self-pity to serving others. If you think about Joseph's life, self-pity seems like, seems pretty merited. Often it felt like he was forgotten. But chapter 40, verse 6 shows us, that was right when he's in the middle of prison. It shows us that he was still caring about others. It says he saw the cupbearer's face and the baker's faces and knew something was wrong. He was paying paying attention to what was going on with them. And he served them by not ignoring their situation, even when his own circumstances were bad. This is because God was using this disappointment to teach him to serve others in all circumstances. And so I ask you, what's your work situation like? What's your school situation like? You know, our instinct, living in this world, when our work situation is bad or our school situation is bad, our instinct is to say, I want to go find another job. I want to move and change schools and I want to do it now. But God asks us first to say, how can I serve others? God has me here right now. How can I serve others here? The time might come for you to go find another job. Don't misunderstand me. There are times for that. But are we saying in the process, Lord, how do you want me? How can I serve others here where you have me? Are you asking him and looking to him to lead you in that? Do you see those people around you as those who, are, those, those who God has given you opportunity to care for and to serve? Or are you saying, God, get me out of here, and then I'll serve others? God, get me out of this situation, and then I'll worry about caring for others. He will also change us from being skeptical to being hopeful. Again, Joseph, of all people, could have been pretty skeptical about God's promises at this point, Right? Lord, what's going on here? But instead, he was learning to hope in God. And so in this case, he optimistically asked the guys to share their dreams in verse 8 because he said, God's the interpreter of dreams. He did what God had called him to do, and he asked them. But for us, it's easy to become skeptical when we face disappointments. It's easy to become skeptical when days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years. But as we ask Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, he can change our heart attitudes and turn us to find hope in him. He can give us a renewed hope that what we see right in front of us is not all there is. 
Adoniram Judson, who was a great, he was a, a great well-known missionary. Um, you can just go search it online and find many, many stories of him. But he had been thrown into a horrible prison in Burma, um, and the, these uh, Burmese guards were just known to be tough. Um, they enacted a lot of torture. And in addition to that, he had almost no fruit to show for his years of hardship and labor in Burma. He'd been working on a Bible translation, and he was, he was fearful that that was going to be destroyed. And then in those conditions, suffering from fever and weakness, he received a letter from a friend. And the friend asked Judson, how's the outlook? To which he replied, the outlook is as bright as the promises of God. Are you skeptical or are you hopeful? God can change our heart attitudes. And then third, it can move us from ignoring God to trusting him. When asked about dreams, Joseph went to God. Chapter 40, verse 9, chapter 41, verse 16. And you see, here's the thing. When our hearts are being changed, it becomes more often, not always, but more often that our first instinct will be to go to him. When our hearts are being changed, we'll go to God and not see God as the problem. But begin to have our hearts changed to see him as the only one we can actually fully trust. And when we hope in him, we will not be disappointed. Does that sound familiar? Because that's a passage of scripture. Here's the problem, though. Often when we read that passage of scripture... We read it, we translate it kind of like this. When we hope in him to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, we will not be disappointed. And if that's what we're saying, we'll have plenty of disappointment. But when we hope in him, we will not be disappointed long term. when we hope in him, when our hearts are being changed, when we hope in him and his work and his timing, we will not be disappointed because he has said he will not abandon his children. And so as we prepare for communion this morning, I want to put the prayer back up. I want to ask you, just in silence before the Lord, um, would you pray this prayer? as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. And I'll bring us back together in just a moment. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.